Well, good morning, class. It's good to see you this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter of Daniel. We'll finish up the series this morning. And Lord willing, and the pastor allow me, I'm going to uh, start on Revelation next week and just keep on going as long as I can. But this has been an exciting book for me. I, I've taught it in college but I always go back every time I teach it and I get out all my books and go back through everything. And I always learn some new things, and I've learned some things from my study this time, so I appreciate the opportunity of sharing and sharing with you the new insights, and you didn't know when you were getting those and when you didn't, but it's been an exciting time for me. And I appreciate you attending and being faithful in our class and we'll look forward to seeing you in the book of Revelation. I would say to you that the book of Revelation is a little more, uh, less convoluted, but uh, I'm going to, Pastor, I'm going to make a set of handouts on the outline in particular of Revelation. We'll pass them out in the class here, so you'll have those. It'll make things easier for me as I work my way uh, through of this, that study. But I uh, want us to have a word of prayer and then we'll get started in the last chapter of Daniel. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to share. And we pray, Father, that as we look at this last cha- uh, chapter, that uh, you would give us insights. There's some tremendous truths here. There are Uh, foundational to other passages in the New Testament and Revelation that help us to understand a little bit about what the end times are going to be like. And we'll thank you as we study to see the applications in our lives uh, today as believers in the church age. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, folks, as we remember the book of Daniel, You recall you've got chapter 1 where Daniel is uh, deported to Babylon. 2 to 7 is uh, the chapter that deals with God's sovereignty over the Gentile nations. And then 8 through 12, by the end of the book, we are involved in God's sovereignty over the people of God, uh, the nation of Israel. Now, so we have the Gentiles in 2 to 7. We have the Jews in 8 to 12. Now, as we climax this book this morning, I want you to understand that the thrust of the chapter is the final liberation of the nation of Israel. When it's all over, Israel wins. And I want you to see that conclusion and see how we're part of uh, that uh, result that is being described here in chapter 12. Now, the actual teaching is found in verses 1 to 3. Then in verse 4 through the end of the chapter, verse 13, class, we have extra material that kind of amplifies in some ways uh, of what has been taught in the first three verses. Now, let's look at that together. And uh, we'll begin our study. Now, at that time, now, I'm going to stop right there. 
at that time has to do with the end time events. In fact, this is the third movement of thought in this latter section of Daniel. In chapter 11, verse 1 through 35, we have Daniel's introduction to the 69 weeks. And then when we get uh, to chapter 11 and verse 36 to the end here in verse 45, we have uh, Daniel's revelation concerning week 70. And as we closed out last Sunday, we saw that this 70th week of Daniel ends in major war campaigns between the Antichrist and the other kings uh, during this period of time, with the end result that in verse 45, he, the Antichrist, will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas, the seas associated with the Holy Land, and the beautiful Holy Mountain, Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. That will be the end of Antichrist. Now, at that time, that's what we start with in verse 1 of chapter 12. And it's not talking simply about at that time when Antichrist is, uh, is destroyed and eliminated, but that whole series of events, in particular verse 36 through verse 45, of chapter 11. It's during that period of time. And notice what he says. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. That's Michael the archangel. We read about him in a number of places. He's the angel in charge of the nation of Israel. And there will be a time of distress. Now, look, that's what's telling us is this last period of time He's going back and tying it all together and saying, at that time, when all this is going on, notice he says, uh, there will be a time of distress, verse 1, such as never occurred since there was a nation until uh, that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, uh, uh, in the book will be rescued. Now, i got to take a drink. But I want to say to you, that what we're being introduced to here is the book of life and whether or not the name is in the book of life. I want you to notice that it talks about two different groups of people here, two different groups. Notice it says, at that time, your people, out of parts of verse 1, your people and everyone who is found in the book of life will be rescued. That's an interesting word. Then notice verse 2. Secondly, and those who are asleep in the dust of the ground will be awakened, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So we have two groups of people here. And we're talking about the end time when all of the uh, things culminate with the destruction of Antichrist and all of the uh, anti-Jewish nation uh, concepts that have been in the world, uh, that when they're eliminated, then we find that the living people who have, uh, have their name still in the book of life will be rescued, but those who have died, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, Moses, all of those great guys, 
they have done, and they're in paradise, we find in the New Testament. And those who sleep in the dust of the ground will be awake, these to everlasting life. So we have two groups of people. When it comes time to begin the millennial kingdom, there are two groups. There are those who are alive to be rescued and those who have died that are going to be resurrected. Now, in order to lay the foundation for you this morning, hold your place here. And I want you to look with me about uh, the beginning of uh, or an introduction to the fact that uh, people are going to be rescued. Go with me to chapter 7, verse 18, and then again in verse 27. Chapter um, uh, chapter 7, verse 18, and then verse 27. Chapter 7, verse 18. Notice what it says. Uh, it talks about those four kings that will arise on the earth, but, verse 18, Notice what it says, very general statement. The saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Now notice that. It just says, when this is over, the four kings are dismissed, then the saints inherit. Everybody with me? That's all it says. Then go to verse 27. You'll find exactly the same kind of concept. Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. All right, so there's a statement. Everything climaxes with the saints of Israel receiving the kingdom. They're alive, those who are rescued, and even those who have died. Now, in order to, to spell that out a little bit, I'm not going to turn to it, but you remember in Revelation, we looked at it before, chapter 3 and verse 5. It tells us that those people that are rescued are people who have not had their names erased. Your name will not be erased from the book of life, okay? So when we talk about the book of life, you can go all the way back into Exodus. And when God says to Moses, I, I think I'm going to just blot these people out of uh, existence. Moses says, no, blot me out. And God's answer is, no, I'm going to blot out the ones that sinned. So Moses understood the concept. And the concept is this. The book of life contains all the names of people for all ages. But when they do not respond to God properly, then their names are erased. Their names are blotted out. So that the text says those whose names are not found in the book of life from the foundations of the world. In other words, those who have had their names in there and all the way up until the, the time that God brings about justice and judgment. If their names haven't been blotted out then their names are in the book of life from the foundations of the earth. Everybody with me? Now, that's how they get into the kingdom. Now, but I want you to see something even further. When does this happen? When the four kingdoms are over. Who does it involve? The people whose names are still in the book of life when it's all over. How does it happen? Hold your place here. 
And go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, and we want to look at verse 37. Matthew 24 and verse 37. Now, it's, going to talk, it's talking about the time when Christ is returning. For the coming, verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. Now, it's going to be just like that circumstance. Now, watch the emphasis. What circumstance is he talking about in the days of Noah? Look at it. Verse 38. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. They weren't interested in God. They were thought Noah was crazy to be building a boat and there's no water and all that kind of thing. And they did, verse 39, they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Now notice the verbs there. They are taken away. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be a taking away. Now look up here. It is not a taking away like the rapture. When the rapture occurs, we're taken away to heaven. We leave this earth. These people are taken away, are going to judgment, and the one that left go into the kingdom. Everybody with me? Watch it. Verse 39. In those days... Flood before the flood, they were eating and drinking, uh, marrying, giving and marrying until the day of Noah entered in the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall be the uh, coming of the Son of Man. Then there shall be two men in the field. One's going to be taken away into judgment, and one will be left to go into the kingdom. Don't miss that. So many times I hear people talking about Matthew 24 and 25, and they're talking about the rapture. It's just backwards from the rapture. Everybody with me? Rapture, we're taken to heaven, and the people that are sinners are left here. In this case, we're going into the millennial kingdom. Who's going in? The people that are left. The good guys that wear the white hats go into the millennial kingdom. Now, notice what it says. And they did not understand. Then notice, verse 40, there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken away in judgment. One will be left just like Noah. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. They are the ones that go into kingdom. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know uh, which day your Lord is coming. So the Lord is coming He's going to send the sinners away to judgment. And those that are left living on the earth that are his people are going to be put into the kingdom. See, they're going to be rescued. That's the word that Daniel uses in chapter 12. They'll be rescued. Now go to chapter 25. You'll find exactly the same thing. Notice verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his uh, glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered together before him and he will separate them one from another, that is the nation, and the people in particular in those nations, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will put the sheep, the good guys, on his right, and the goats, the bad guys, on his left. Then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed of your father, inherit the kingdom. See it? They're the ones that are left. Then down in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, cursed ones, into eternal uh, fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. So how does this rescue occur? The Son of Man comes, the Lord Jesus. He separates the goats and the sheep. The sheep go into the kingdom. The goats go into judgment. Everybody with me? So those who are alive and are serving the Lord and love him, they will be rescued at the second coming. Now, another observation I hasten to mention is that the people that go into the millennial kingdom that are being described here in 24 and 25 of Matthew and here in the uh, Daniel chapter 12 verse 1, one that are rescued, these are not resurrected people. They are earth dwellers who know the Lord. They're not glorified. They're just saved people that go into the kingdom. Everybody with me? That's important because we're going to talk now about the second group. Notice verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, and the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. We're going to talk about the resurrected people, the people that have been rescued, who are alive and going to the kingdom, and now we're going to talk about those who are rescued. I'm sorry, those that are resurrected. Notice resurrection is mentioned in verse 2. They will awake. It's also referenced in the last verse, verse 13, with reference to Daniel. Uh, you will enter into your rest and rise again. So there's resurrection of saints. Now, the point that I want to make here is that when we talk about resurrection, we've got to talk about what is called the first resurrection and the second resurrection. Now, I want you to hold your place here in Daniel. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, the great passage that deals with resurrection and uh, Paul's defense of resurrection. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to look at verse 20 and following. Notice what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. There's no question about it. He, he's been resurrected. So there is such a thing as resurrection. Notice he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, that is the beginning of those who are asleep, those who have died. He's the first fruits of their resurrection. For since by a man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam in Adam all died, so also in Christ 
all shall be made alive. But, watch it, each in his own order. Here's the order. First, Christ, the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. And if you skip down, you'll find the end is described for us. Verse 28. When all the things are subjected to him, to Christ, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who is um, who subjected all things to him, that is, God may be all in all. In other words, child of God, uh, there is a resurrection that has order. Christ, the first fruits, then those that are his, and then the end, when Christ settles up everything and turns the kingdom over to the Father, there's no one left but believers. Now, question, who is involved in the his that are mentioned here? It is the people that in Revelation, we'll look at it in a minute, are involved in what is called the first resurrection. Second resurrection, those people end up experiencing the second death. First resurrection, they're not subjected to the second death. They are Christ, and they're going to be with him forever throughout all of eternity. Now, I'm going to just very quickly go through uh, the different groups that are in the first resurrection. Not going to spend a lot of time. There are so many passages we could look at. I'm trying to simplify it as much as I can. There are three groups of people that are his. First, you and I, the church people, we are his. Secondly, Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, Old Testament saints, they will experience it. They are his. And then when we get to Revelation, we find there are tribulation saints that have died, been beheaded, and so on. We're not willing to receive the mark of the beast and so on. So they were killed. They're going to be resurrected. So you have three groups, church people, Old Testament people, and tribulation people. All of those who belong to Christ make up the first resurrection. Everybody with me? Now, let's talk very uh, quickly about each group. We'll probably spend more time on the church group because there's more information. I want you to hold your place well and go with me to um, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 15 and verse 50. See it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now, we're going to look at two passages. I want you to look up again. It's an important concept. When we go to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, we're going to see what I call the elimination of death. Then we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 and following, and, and we're going to find there that we talk about another relationship to death. Here, the elimination of death. Now look at it and you'll see why, why I use that word. The rapture, now another concept, I ought to say it. Most people don't hear it, but I will say it. The rapture involves resurrection. 
It involves people who are living on the earth when Christ comes back to get his own. But it also involves a resurrection of those who have died. I've got a son, Timothy. In my understanding, he's what we call safe. He's going to be resurrected out of his grave in Petersburg, Virginia. My parents, my wife's mom and dad, your loved ones, all who know uh, the Lord and have gone on uh, and passed, we call it, passed into another life form uh, condition. These people are going to be involved in resurrection. Now, look at it. Notice verse 50. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. People can't get in heaven with flesh and blood. We're saved, but we're sinful and corrupted. This body is going to die. Why? It's infected with the sin disease. The sin disease cannot go into heaven. All right? Now, notice. This he said, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does uh, the perishable inherit the imperishable. The whole, I'm telling you a mystery, something which has not been revealed before. We shall not all die. See it? We'll not all sleep. But we shall all, watch it, be changed. At the rapture, it is going to involve people that are still alive, that haven't died, and they will be changed. But it also involves people who have died that have got to be resurrected to get to heaven. Now notice, we shall be changed. In other words, look up here again, that's the elimination of death I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 15 is describing the death relationship to the rapture and saying a particular thing that you don't find in other passages, and that is some of us are going to have the death experience eliminated. We automatically go to be with him. Amen? Now look at it, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised uh, uh, imper- imperishable, and we shall be changed. There it is again. There, when they are resurrected, the dead, they're going to have an imperishable, glorified body. We have this body, and we've got to get rid of it too. How do we get rid of it? We're changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And I say, hallelujah. Amen. We win. Okay? The elimination of death. Why? Verse 53. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must be put on immortality. But when this perishable shall have put on the imperishable, and this mortal should have put on immortality, then will come the, about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The elimination of death for some of us at the rapture. Wouldn't that be nice if you came today and we didn't have to go through the pain most of the time of dying? That'd be nice. Now, go with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look at the other one. And remember, I told you I'm going to use a different word when it comes uh, to uh, 
the description of people who have died uh, at the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Everybody there? I'm going to use a different word. The termination of death. The emphasis in 1 Corinthians 15 is the elimination of death. We'll never experience it. The emphasis in 30, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the termination. People who've died are going to have that death experience terminated. Got it? Now notice what it says, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve uh, as do the rest who have no hope. Now, we'll stop there. Folks, uh, Christians get some weird ideas sometimes. Uh, this text is not saying that we don't grieve or that it's inappropriate to grieve. When our son Timothy died, my wife and I grieved. And I'm not ashamed of that. That's normal. That's right. Okay? Uh, when you study the Old Testament, they grieved over Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they passed. Remember? Now, so it says, not that we won't grieve, but we won't grieve like the rest of the world. Uh, the, the illustration I used one time when I was in Vietnam with, as a chaplain with the 1st Infantry Division, a jeep, an army jeep, was coming down the road, and a little kid ran out into the road. And the jeep hit him, killed him instantly. And I was there to watch what happened. Here was a mother. Not only was she grieving, but she was uncontrollable in her grief. And I thought to myself, I understand. I understand that we can get to a state where we're so out of control, but not like that lady. Why? Because we have a hope. Amen. And that death for that little one, if it were a believer, and I have no idea that it was, uh, that uh, that death experience is going to be terminated. Okay? Uh, my son, Tim, has experienced death, but that death experience is going to be terminated. Look what it says. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not proceed, not go before those who have fallen asleep. Now look at that. Uh, if we're alive when, uh, when uh, Jesus comes back for the rapture of the church, uh, guess who he pays attention to first? It's not you and me. It's the people who are in the graves going to have their death experience terminated. Look what it says. For the Lord himself, shall, verse 16, shall descend from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. You see the emphasis? The emphasis in 4 of 1 Thessalonians is 
the termination of death. The emphasis in 1 Corinthians 15 is the elimination of death. Not that both don't talk about each, but the fact is one emphasizes something, the other one doesn't in each case. Everybody with me? Now, if you go back to Daniel in chapter 12, that's one group that is involved in the resurrection that uh, 1 Corinthians 15, when Christ says he's the first fruits, the next group, those that are his. The first part of those who are his are the church people. And we are dealt with first. And then notice uh, that the Old Testament saints are mentioned. Notice verse 2. And many of those who sleep, not all, but many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will, will awake, these unto everlasting life, and the others to disgrace and everlasting death. Now, the second group that are his are the Old Testament saints. We mentioned it. Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, uh, I think probably Adam and Eve, I mean, you know, the skins. Maybe they, uh, I, we don't have an exact answer to that, but I think they are. Uh, and then uh, Joseph, and we think about Moses, we think about all those people, and Daniel. They're all part of this second group that is the group that are his. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So we've got the rapture, which is a resurrection for people, and then the Old Testament saints that are the second group, and then the third group are tribulation saints. Now, I want you to hold your place here, and we need to go all the way to Revelation chapter 20. Oh, there's so much I want to cover in this chapter. In chapter 12, I, I can see I'm not going to make it. But now I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, here's the third group that are his that are going to, uh, to uh, be raised and awake. Revelation 20. And verse 4, And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. That's God, the Father, and God, the Son. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and on their hand, and they came to life. And reign with Christ for a thousand years. There's resurrection of tribulation saints. Everybody with me? Then notice, he says, they will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Latter part of verse 4. Then it, there's a little parenthesis here. Parenthesis. Notice verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. And they're resurrected for the judgment of the white throne judgment that comes in verse 11 of this chapter. But notice, he says after that parenthesis, this is the first resurrection. Notice what it says. Blessed and holy, verse 6, is the one who has part in the first resurrection. If there's a first, there's a second. And the second is for the unsaved people. This is the first. First resurrection, therefore, I conclude, 
involves all resurrected believers. Everybody with me? Not just the tribulation, but the first resurrection includes them along with all the rest that we've been describing. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now, class, lesson. We saw in 1 Corinthians that the, those that are his uh, are resurrected in that first group. And then Christ turns the kingdom over uh, to the Father. You remember Matthew 24 and 25? What about the people who are living? What happens to them? They go into the kingdom. Listen. They go into the kingdom as unglorified believers. Just like you and me. You with me? They're unglorified. But there are others that are involved in these three resurrections that are part of the first resurrection, guess what? They are glorified, sanctified, and whatever else you want to call it. And the text is saying to you and me, watch it. The resurrected people are the ones that rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. The others are not glorified. They go into the millennial kingdom but they are not the ones that are reigning. The resurrected ones are the ones that are reigning over the people who are alive and are taken into the kingdom. Everybody with me? Don't miss that. There's a reason why I emphasize it, and that is this. That thousand-year reign is going to end with Satan being released and leading a rebellion of people on the earth. Wait a minute. The thousand years began with all believers. But as they marry and are given in marriage, some of the people that come after do not respond to Christ's claims in their life. So by the end of the millennial kingdom, there are huge numbers of people that are anti-Christ, anti-God, just like right now. And they are going to follow Satan. It starts out well, but it ends in disaster. Everybody with me? Now we go back to our text. Three groups resurrected and rule and reign with Christ over the believers in the millennial kingdom, even as it begins to deteriorate by unbelief of the offspring. Now notice, we come to verse 4, and we've got to move rapidly. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. 
Point being, it's sort of like Amos chapter 8 and verse 12. Many people point to it. They search and search and search, and they get a lot of knowledge, but they don't get all the key information that helps them to draw right conclusions. Then notice, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river, and the other on the, uh, that bank of the river, and one said to the man dressed in linen, Wow! You have to go all the way back to chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, where Daniel is talking, carrying on a conversation with the man in linen. He's still there. And two other people show up, and they turn to him with a question. How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. By the way, that's the Tigris River, about 35 miles east of Babylon. We discussed that earlier when we were there. And he says, uh, he raised his hand uh, to heaven, left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for time, time, half a time. Then three and a half years, this struggle for the liberation of Israel is going to go on. We've talked about it all along. Time, time, and half a time. Now notice, it says, for a time, time, to half a time, and as soon as they are finished scattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand so I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? What's going to be the conclusion of it all? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for all these words are concealed uh, concealed, and sealed up until the end time. Daniel, you're not going to know all of the answers either. We've had a lot of information in Daniel. I've done a lot of research down through the years, and I've just kind of dumped it on you. And if you go back in the study and say, well, we know a whole lot about what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to end. That's sealed in the book, even from Daniel, the final stages of it. Then notice we're tossed a curve. Notice it says, and many will perish or be purged and purified and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who have insight will understand to some extent. That's the idea. And from that time, that the regular sacrifice is abolished, uh, to the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Whoops. It's been time, time, half time. Now, all of a sudden, we have 30 days added. Now, I'm going to give you an educated guess. And some of the great scholars, and I've gleaned from them, and I've drawn what I think is probably best we can know. Remember, all this stuff is sealed. So what about this extra 30 days? I want to suggest to you, that the extra 30 days involves the cleansing of the temple. Now, why would I say that? Look at it, verse 11. And from the time of the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up. 
Where? In the temple. There will be a th- 1,290 days, 30 days to clean up that mess. All right? And make it operable again. And then it says, verse 12, How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to 1,335 days. Whoops, an extra 45 days. What in the world is that? He doesn't tell us. Educated guess, the suggestion is it will involve the judgment of the nations and the great white throne judgment that takes care of all those unsaved people so that we can go into eternity future. Now, that's an educated guess. The text doesn't tell us. Amen? Now, one more thing in times. I still got one half minute. Look at verse 13. But as for you, go your way, talking to Daniel, to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of time. Allotted portion. Suggesting them the wording is different people get different allotments. I'm sure Daniel's going to get a big allotment. And I think some of us are not going to get near as big as him. But we get our allotment. You remember in uh, Acts 26, when Paul is defending himself, I'm trying to win people to Christ so they have the forgiveness of sin. And then he says, and an inheritance, heaven, their allotment. But then you go back to chapter 20, and he's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he says, when he calls them all together, I recommend to you the word of God. And as a result, if you're obedient to his word, you're going to receive an inheritance. Whoa. We already got the inheritance when we got saved. Now he's talking about spiritual people, leaders in the church. And if you're faithful, you're going to get an inheritance. May I suggest I'm going to use two words that I think will help. One, in Acts 26, you're talking about the initial inheritance. In chapter 20, you're talking about the allotted inheritance, an additional inheritance based on your faithfulness. All of us get heaven if we're believers. But different ones get a different allotment. And that's what he's talking about here. Daniel, you rest until you're resurrected and you'll get your allotted portion. Amen. Be faithful. The Lord doesn't forget. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the information you've given us. Help us to be faithful to you even when the hard times come in light of what you promised. In Jesus' name. Amen.